Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast. Today is May 17th, and I am your host, James Lynch. And we tried to do this yesterday with Pat Militich, and it did not work out. But don't worry, I have a, a phenomenal replacement here and someone that I am uh, so happy to get here on the show. And I got to thank him because he's actually got a big responsibility to do on Saturday. But I'm joined by Brendan Fitzgerald, the man behind the booth in the UFC booth. Uh, Brendan, how are you today? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, thanks for joining me here. Big fan of yours. Uh, you know, watch on Contender Series. And of course, you've been doing a great job in the UFC broadcast booth. But uh, first off, um, I want to go all the way back to sort of the beginning uh, of your broadcasting career. Where did that start? What sort of piqued your interest in sports? Well, I was a big sports fan um, from an early age. My dad was a big sports fan. It just kind of rubbed off on me. Um, so I liked sports all the way up. And, you know, I I know that I always wanted to do this. Um, I can't really pinpoint like the day or the year exactly, but you know, I was probably between five and eight years old. And I asked my dad how the guys on TV got to actually go to the games and be the ones talking about the games. You know, I would play in the backyard and kind of that whole thing where you're shooting a basketball, announcing your own thing or playing hockey and announcing your own thing. And so I would, you know, I genuinely asked him, how do, how do those guys get to do that? And he's like, well, that's their job. And so as soon as I found out that that was like a job, I was in. Um, so, you know, really all growing up, I, I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. I took to listen. I was probably one of the first of my friends to listen to talk radio. You know, when you're a kid, it's, it's boring to listen to people talk on the radio. But I grew up in uh, the Massachusetts area, Boston area. So, Sports is a way of life. Those teams are a way of life, and there's no shortage of talk and opinions and coverage of teams. So I grew up watching it, always wanting to do it. And, you know, so then when I went to college, it was uh, looking for a broadcasting program that was going to put me on the path to being a sports broadcaster. And I've kind of changed what I've done in the sports broadcasting field over the years, but uh, I've always wanted to be in it. I've actually loved kind of doing different things and finding uh, what I like and, and some things you expect to like and some things you didn't know you loved. So uh, it's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun. Where did you go to school? I went to school in upstate New York, Ithaca college. Oh, nice. Um, So 
good broadcasting program, good communications program there. Not as uh, widely known as Syracuse, which is about an hour and 15 minutes up the road. So uh, we're kind of like the little brother broadcasting program of upstate New York, but still a lot of good people have come out of there. And uh, it was a good four years and allowed me to be around other people that wanted to do the same thing and kind of uh, put us all together. I feel like you learn a lot that way. And we've kind of grown up that way. Did you put in dibs to get on the uh, UFC Utica card? Because that would uh, be your all- alma mater there. <laughs> I know. That was about an hour east. I thought I might be on it just because uh, I- I'm actually not on that one. Um, you know, I haven't been back to upstate New York for a long time, and I would have no problem going back in June. Uh, I don't know if I'd ask for dibs if it was in December or January, but right. you know, I won't be on that <laughs> one. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll be in Ithaca someday. So what was your first ever media job that you had? I'm sure you, you know, did something in college, whether it was like an internship or, or something at the school uh, that, that was as far as broadcasting goes. Yeah, I, I did some internships in the summers. Uh, I interned at uh, a talk radio station for the morning show. Uh, so some early mornings getting up. I also did an internship with a Cape Cod baseball league team. I was a play-by-play announcer for one of the Cape league teams just kind of getting experience wherever I can go. I did a semester in Los Angeles. My school had a program where instead of going abroad, you go, you know, if you're a communications person or a movie or TV production person or that sort of thing, we had a program in Los Angeles. So I went out there and I did an internship out there. Um, And then once I got into the field, I graduated, I was looking for a job. I was sending out my resume tape everywhere, which was on VHS. I was on the (laughs) tail end of the VHS uh, resume tape uh, era. And, um, you know, I, I actually didn't get an on-air job at first. I moved to Phoenix. I had lived in Vegas for a little bit. I moved to Phoenix to get a behind-the-scenes job. And then my first actual on-air job was as the main sports anchor in Casper, Wyoming. At the wow. NBC okay. So it was like market 198 in, in the United States out of like 210 markets, uh, small place. You got to grind it out and make not a lot of money. But I knew that, you know, in the long run, it was like a requirement um, to really cut your teeth. And that's where you find out if you really want to do it or not. And yeah, so, it, uh, it's going to those small towns and getting yeah. getting that experience. Uh, yeah, I, I went to school for uh, well, I took communications as well. And then I I took uh, television broadcasting in college. And that's that's pretty much what they told us. If you if you want to you know see if you can hack it on air, you go mm-hmm. to like in, in Canada here it was like, you know, you got to go to Saskatchewan. You got to go to yeah. like, you know, some of the smaller places, yeah. some of the smaller markets and stuff. Um, how <laughs> How is that? Like, I, like, I think a lot of people don't realize that getting into broadcasting, there's so many sacrifices you have to make, um, especially when it comes to, you know, like your social life, because, you know, you you have to put the hours and you have to establish yourself you know when you got that first gig um you know how, how are you sort of keeping yourself motivated you know because uh obviously you have this great job but you know you're probably you know in, in a place that you're not too familiar with like like take me through take me to that time yeah <clears throat> it's like looking back on it you're you can smile about it you're thankful for it and you know you wear it as like a badge of honor with others that kind of took that same path and i was lucky my my wife i met her when i was a senior in college and, you know, that's when I, I went out to Las Vegas, she went to UNLV and, you know, thankfully she was in it with me. You know, I, we moved up to Casper, Wyoming, and she was in Denver for a little bit with her job, but then she moved up to Casper and she's been with me the whole time. So I feel like having somebody with me the whole time and supporting me and pushing me when times got tough, um, definitely helped me along. And then in those small markets, it's, it's almost like an extension of college, really. I mean, you're kind of on a college budget in a lot of cases and you're with other people 
that are not necessarily from there that are doing the same thing. You know, I, I worked in Casper, Wyoming. Nobody was from Casper that was on the air there. You know, that was the reporters. It was somebody who's from Denver, somebody, a lot of from Cal, people from California, other people from the East Coast or the Midwest. And, you know, you kind of look around the newsroom and part of you is just like, what are we doing here? Um, but then you bounce off ideas with each other and you support each other and you try to make everyone better. You know, it was all about everyone would you know, try to do their best and then get honest feedback. And, you know, and Casper, I feel like, is where I made the closest connections at, out of all my jobs almost. You know, I mean, you hang out on the weekends, you hang out before, you see each other at the gym. It's a small town and things like that. And then when you grow up in the business and you um, work in bigger cities and you're older, people have families that they go home to or they're bigger cities. So when I worked in Boston, I was great friends with my sports producer there, but he lived 40 minutes that way and I lived 40 minutes this way. So we didn't have that bond. We didn't see each other all the time. So in a way, Casper was a lot of fun and other markets like that are a lot of fun. Now they're more fun after the fact and you look back on it and you're like, those were some good times. They weren't as bad as they seemed maybe while you were in it. And I think, you know, I've been able to keep the big picture in mind the whole way along. Even now, just realizing like what I'm doing now is important and you try to get better each day and you try to do the best you can. But in the long run, it's all about, you know, your journey and where you're going to end up and um, just having fun with it no matter where it is. And early on, as you're going to school, uh, was there anyone that you had as like a mentor or anyone that you sort of tried to model yourself after, whether it's broadcasters? Like, I know everyone sort of has their favorites. Uh, was there mm -hmm. anyone like that for you uh, early on? I really liked the Boston guys when I was in college because that's really what I wanted to do at first. I wanted to be a talk radio guy. Okay. Um, I wanted that four-hour show where you just hash out the games, you take callers, you make fun of the callers that are ridiculous sometimes, or you have interviews. And, and my mom was like, no, you need to be on TV. That's where the money is, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, not that she was a master of the business, but you know, she, <laughs> by and large, she was right. I mean, you know, generally there's more money in TV than radio, but um, so, so I looked up to Dennis and Callahan is the morning show that I interned for and they weren't really mentors, but I looked at, I really liked their show and they were wildly popular for a long time. And, and now they've kind of broken up and that's a different show. Um, John Meter Perel was on that show and he went to Ithaca College. So he was like my first connection to like a working professional that was in the business that could kind of at least talk to me or I could email and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and then and then as I got more into the TV thing later in my college career, because I kind of crossed over. And by the time I was a senior in college, I was doing, you know, the 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 news sports, you know, I was doing the four minute sports cast at the end of the news at, at Ithaca college. And it was pretty clear that I was going to make my tape and I was going to go into that direction of anchor. So, you know, obviously sports center was, was the crown jewel at that point. And Neil Everett was not new at ESPN, but he was kind of kind of coming into his own as, as a main guy on ESPN. So me and my friends at Ithaca, we all like Neil Everett and, uh, I happened to get a hold of his number somehow. I think I got a hold of like the ESPN main switchboard number at some <laughs> point. And this was when I was in Casper. Yeah. And uh, so I just called it 
it was late at night on the East Coast. I just called it and I said, Neil Everett's desk, please. And, uh, or no, it wasn't that. I got his email address because I had a long, uh, a roundabout connection through Neil Everett that I worked with. Anyways, I sent him my email with my link to like my tape in Casper. Like, hey, Neil, if you could take a look at this, would love any feedback. I'm a big fan, blah, 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 right? And uh, the next day I had a missed call on my phone. I had a voicemail. I picked it up and it was Neil Everett. He left me like a two minute message the very next day, left me a two minute message, kind of critiquing my tape, uh, saying what I did good. He's like, Hey, for your first job, you're real good. You know, keep at it. You know, this is what you need to fix or this is what you need to work on. So it was funny. And I, and so I've, I emailed him back and forth just sporadically. I've still never met him to this day, but I eventually got to ESPNU. And the first thing I did was I emailed Neil. I was like, Hey, this is the kid in Wyoming that left you a message and whatever. Uh, oh, and I sent him a beer mug as like a thank you to his office. out. Nice, in LA. nice touch. I was like, I'm the, I'm the guy who sent you the Wyoming beer mug. So he was like super, you know, pleased that I was able to grind it out and make it all the way up. And, uh, you know, when I got laid off from ESPN, he sent me a nice email saying like, you know, you're going to continue to crush it. And so really Neil Everett, even though I've kind of now changed jobs, job paths and stuff, and I've had other people along the way that have helped me out and things like that. But, but that's kind of the one that sticks out. So you talked about having the job in Wyoming and then going to ESPN. Is that where, is that sort of what happened? You went from that, that full-time job there to ESPN or was there something along the way? There was a lot along the way. Okay. Um, well, a couple of stops along the way. So Wyoming's market 198. And, you know, for those who don't know the industry, at least in the traditional sense, and it's really changing now because you can be on YouTube a lot or be on the internet and kind of build your following in so many different ways. But I feel like the traditional path is still kind of there. You go small city and you kind of just take whatever steps you can. And sometimes you can make a huge jump and sometimes you have to take several jumps in between. So my ladder was Casper, Wyoming was my first stop. And then uh, the Rio Grande Valley of Texas was where I got my job in the summer of uh, 2010. So that's like the Brownsville McAllen area way down by the border. It's about four hours south of San Antonio. Plenty of Canadians winter down there, by the way. Good people. I found a <laughs> hockey league down there that I played in, actually, too. And um, so was there for two years and had a connection in Boston that I had, like, kept in touch with. Just kept sending them my recent resume tape and that sort of thing and just kind of kept in touch. And then all of a sudden they needed a sports anchor in Boston. So I moved up to Boston in the summer of 2012. That was, like a major break to go from market, you know, 80 or 90 or whatever it was to a, you know, top 10 market, uh, you know, in Boston and major sports and things like that. So that was a huge break for me. I was there for two years. I thought I would have been in Boston forever. I, you know, I thought that was my dream job, but um, you know, as you kind of continue to grow in things, you realize there's more to it. You know, there's another level. Oh, can I get to that level? Do I want to get to that level and kind of leave, home what had you know where I had grown up um and ultimately you know the network opportunity was too good and that's when I you know I went from Boston to ESPNU um which was based down in Charlotte North Carolina and I was uh, at ESPNU for a few years and now the next step is here with the UFC at ESPNU what were you doing specifically as far as sports I was a studio host okay so um you know college football and college basketball talk shows during the week, uh, a lot of halftime shows and pregame shows and postgame shows and things like that. So, 
you know, at first it was daunting because I came from the world of local news where you're doing sports really for three to five minutes at a time. Yeah, and, it is a lot know, different. Covered yeah. the Red Sox World Series run and the Bruins Stanley Cup when they went to the fi- finals and lost to the Blackhawks in 2013. So I got some longer form experience with that. But by and large, my, you know, my time uh, covering sports was a lot of three to five minute bursts in front of a camera reading a teleprompter. And at ESPNU, it was all of a sudden hosting an hour long show with two other analysts with no teleprompter at all, just back and forth, different elements of the show and that sort of thing. So it was studio work, which is a lot different from what I do now, but um, it allowed me to grow leaps and bounds in terms of what I've been able to do. Now I look at it. You asked me to host a half hour show. It's like a layup, you know, it's just funny how you just time in the business allows you to do so many different things that you never imagined you could do or would be, you know, so easy for you at this point. But, um, and now I'm into the play-by-play world and, you know, I love doing play-by-play. It's just, uh, it's been really, I've been really lucky to be able to do different things. And uh, so I'm just enjoying the, uh, the current role. So when does MMA get on your radar uh, at any point, you know, whether it was just as a fan or anything like that, when did you, uh, you know, sort of get interested in that? So it was on my radar as I was the typical casual fan who knew the super fights. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had a friend in high school whose brother was into it. So that's, you know, 2000, 2001 era. So that's like way before even a TV deal or something. But I just remember he was, he would watch like highlight tapes or, or different highlights. And I remember not being able to look away, you know, there's, there's something that's like, I wasn't into it right away. And I, it wasn't, it didn't draw me in to follow it right away, but it was kind of like, Oh, but I, I can't look away. I got to watch what happens, you know? Um, and then I remember being in a bar watching Cain Velasquez and Brock Lesnar. When was that? 2000. Oh, uh, um, 2011. Yeah. 2010, so. fall of 2010, something like that. Winter yeah. 2010. I'm going to look it remember, up. I was gonna, I'm going to sound like a moron. Visiting my friend. I think it was like, I'm going to guess October 2010. You got it. That's exactly when it was UFC 121. Okay. So, I remember watching that um, and uh, I knew it was a big, you know, everyone at the bar was like eyes glued to it. It was a great fight. Was, you know, Brock Lesnar was obviously the mega star. And then, you know, at ESPNU, we had on the TVs, the pay-per-views, I think they just got them all for, for highlights or whatever they happened to use. So, you know, McGregor Diaz and Ronda Rousey fights and that sort of thing, but it didn't really grip me like until I really had the opportunity to start working in it, you know? Um, I was a relative outsider, but, um, you know, what I tell people all the time is like, it's, it's not a chore. Like I'm, I'm like calling my brother telling him like, Hey, you got to get to FS1 this Saturday night. Not because I'm calling the fight just because there's some good fights here. It's like, if you spend $60 this year on the UFC, it better be on July 7th. You know, like I'm totally into it where I've tuned out a lot of other sports. And I saw an interview with John Anik recently where he was like, you know, like regular season basketball games, just every fight seems like a game seven and regular season basketball games seem much less important than they used to be. And uh, that's, you know, UFC and MMA in general is like, it feels like that for me as well. I've, I can't tell you how much I've loved kind of jumping into it and committing to it. And, uh, you know, it's just been a blast. So you're at ESPN. We, we see all the headlines coming out about them, you know, making cuts or anything like that. Um, when did you sort of know the writing was on the wall and what was the environment like as that all that was going on? 
So there was a round of layoffs when I was about a year in. I had I originally was there in 2014. I started summer of 2014. And I can't exactly remember when the first round of layoffs was, but it was a pretty big round of layoffs. I think there were three or 400 people let go, but they were like mostly behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And some legends, some people that had been there since like 1980 started in the mailroom and were like running departments of, you know, or I think the guy who like created college game day, um, you, you know, was let go in that. I, you know, since I didn't work in Bristol, I didn't really know the fabric of ESPN as well as some others did because we were removed in down in Charlotte. But um, in a couple of people got let go from our office and that was tough. And that's kind of like, it was all like, fairy tale dreamland to work at espn and be in that umbrella and then the business side hits like that and the first round of layoffs and even if you're not included in it you're like man like some great people some people that mean a heck of a lot more to the company than i do right now um just got let go so the writing certainly wasn't on the wall for me then but it was just kind of a jolt of reality and you know so my two years are up of my first contract in uh, August of 2016, they got an offer. Um, you know, my agents like, you know, th- they want to give you an offer and it was another two year contract, but it was a one year plus one year option. Basically it's, you know, two one year deals and it gives them the right to after a year say, no, thanks. Or, right. you know, so <clears throat> we went back and forth on that. I really wanted two years firm because I, I just, I, there, was all, there was already rumors of layoffs coming the next year. And I thought, you put me in a position where my contract's coming up in a layoff year, it's not very good, especially being at ESPNU, which is kind of the third or fourth network at ESPN at the time. So, you know, honestly, they didn't budge on that. And I wasn't in a position of power where I was going to go walk and find another job. I it was like, sign the contract or don't work or what are you going to do? So really, when I was signing that contract in August of 2016, I, f- I felt like I was signing a one-year lease on life to like a one-year heads up to do your best work, really try to grow as much as you can and be as valuable as you can and show as much as you can to the company in case they want to keep you, but also kind of be in the best position if you are on the open market soon um, to be like a sought-after commodity in some respects. And, um, you know, it came down to, were they going to keep ESPNU operational or were they going to make a major business change? And they ended up making a major business change. They cut ESPNU studio programming. They made, you know, ESPNU is now live games and reruns of documentaries or reruns of other shows that they do up in Bristol. They really didn't keep our department running. So as a result, I was let go and a handful of producers and some, some other behind the scenes staff and things like that. Um, and really, I guess I had been fearful of it. I, I think in March is when, you know, Richard Deitch, who I think just moved up to Toronto. He did. Um, He's co-hosting a primetime sports up here now. Yeah. So Richard Deitch is, you know, he was kind of like the, uh, the guy in the know the most on, on the round of layoffs. I remember he had an article like in March and it was like, the layoffs are going to come before May. They thought they were going to be about 50. Now there's going to be about a hundred. It was just a, it was really kind of a, you know, a, an article that got me thinking like, okay, this could be it. Yeah. I hope it's not, but this could be it. And then uh, when the layoffs came, it was a Wednesday, it was April 26th. I'll never forget the date. Of course. 
Um, I had a dentist appointment that afternoon <laughs> and I read on Twitter, like Richard Deitch had the tweet and he was just like, Hey, I cover these layoffs, but I hate it. You know, this is the worst, but the layoffs are coming down today. There's going to be a lot of sad people today. It's you know, this is a really bad day in the business. And so I saw that tweet and that was about at eight 45 or 10, you know, five and nine, right before nine o'clock. And, uh, I was like, told my wife, you know, I was like, uh, I was like, the layoffs are going to happen today, I guess. So we'll see. And, you know, 901 hits and I get a phone call and uh, it was from a Charlotte area code. And I remember <laughs> being like, I hope this is the dentist, but I don't think it's the dentist, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's when I got the call and, you know, I've kind of taken it. I took it in stride. I, I like, I understood it. You know, I didn't hold a grudge or anything like that. I just said, well, they did what they did you know, it's time to see what you're made of and see what's next. So, but it's led to this, which has been amazing. So, you know, life always works itself out. That's further proof. Well, and if you're talented, it's going to work out. I mean, you, you obviously had a lot of experience and you have things that not just the on-camera stuff, but you know, the local news experience. I mean, you were well-equipped if, you know, when you were leaving, it's not like you were good at one thing. So I think that's, uh, you know, speaks to the talent level you have. So how does it come together that you're, you're, you know, getting this uh, gig with the UFC and, and everything else, the contender series, all that, where did that all come together? So I lucked out that they're starting the contender series, like months after I get laid off really is what it comes down to. Um, This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know, really a couple of days after the layoff happened, I get an email from Zach Candido, who's uh, the coordinated producer in charge of live events with the UFC and just said, Hey, you know, and he had worked at ESPN once upon a time before he had uh, moved out to Vegas and worked for the UFC. So he said, um, you know, a lot of, it was a tough day. A lot of good people got let go. And, you know, I hate seeing that in the business, but would like to talk to you about an opportunity that you might be interested in. Um, so, you know, let's connect. And uh, I talked to him shortly after, I think a week later. And um, sorry, excuse me. No, no worries. He, uh, and uh, so he just kind of talked to me about getting into the MMA world and, and what it might be. And I was, I was like, well, is there a specific position that you have in mind for this? He was, he was kind of vague on like, yeah, I would like to get you out for an audition and it would be a play-by-play and and so my question was like, is this for a specific role or is this, you always like to have people on the, on the Rolodex, so to speak, so that in case you do need somebody. And he said, well, best case scenario, we're launching a show this summer. This isn't for release yet, but we're launching a show this summer called, you know, Dana White's Contender Series. It's going to be on UFC Fight Pass, blah, blah, blah. It kind of gives me the spiel on that. So it's, so best case scenario, you know, you're auditioning for that show, but really we're just, we always like to look and see what's out there and, and, um, you know, kind of backfill our roster of talent. Um, so that's when we lined up the audition and the audition, you know, looking back on it now, it was to find people for Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. And, uh, so we lined up that audition and, uh, I did well enough to, to get that role. And then I did well enough on the contender series to kind of have them keep calling me back. What's the audition like? What did you have to do? 
flew out to Los Angeles and, and called fights. Okay. Um, Do you remember they, what fights you had to call at the time? Yeah, my audition was um, UFC 212. So it was Holloway, Aldo, one. Okay. And um, they had a handful of us out. Well, they had a, a couple of like, they had a few play-by-play guys. And uh, I ended up working with Eve Edwards. So me and Eve Edwards were in like a video booth out in Los Angeles and uh, we called like the middle portion of that card. So like I'll always hold near and dear to my heart because I never called fights before. I really, you know, just taken a stab at it. You know, I watched as much as I could leading up to my audition and I, I have a pretty good gift for imitation. So uh, I was like, let me just sound like I think it should sound, you know. And um, who did I call? I called Eric Spicely and uh, Shoeface. I called um, Yancey Medeiros and uh, Eric Silva. I called Matthew Lopez and Johnny Eduardo. And I called one more fight. Of course, I can't remember the last one, but I called four fights. I think there were 12 on that card. And so it's like one crew got four. I got four and then and the last four. Wow, that's interesting. I called the fights and then it was like, you know, I didn't know how I did. I, I thought that I had some good moments, but I didn't really know how I did. And then they're also judging like the analysts on kind of a different playing field. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking I wasn't going to get it. I remember thinking I did not do well enough, but if I could do it again, I'd do really well. I remember thinking I could be really good at this, but I don't think I did enough on that audition to to get the job. And then, you know, a few weeks go by and I thought that they had kind of moved on. I didn't find out until like, just before the 4th of July that I did have a spot in the contender series. And it was like, the first one was July 11th. And I, you know, probably found out like July 2nd, they called me and I was like, wow. Okay, sure. This sounds great. <laughs> and so as it turned out, I split it with Dan Helley. And so he did the first one and then we alternated weeks last summer. Yeah. At what moment did you feel like a UFC gig was on the horizon as far as commentating the UFC? How did, how did that come? Like the timing on that? Um, so I really felt comfortable with the contender series right from the start. I had the benefit of being able to watch week one and really seeing what it was and then jumping in week two. So six, which would have been mid August probably. And just talking with the, uh, just talking with people, and really, it wasn't a UFC gig that was on the horizon, but they were just like, you know, th- this isn't the last of the contender series, and you're definitely going to come back. So, you know, we'll talk more after after the show's over or whatever. And then, as it turns out, um, Zach had, had his baby in like late August, so he wasn't at the last one. I don't know if the meeting would have taken place then, anyways. But we spoke in mid September on the phone is when he called me, and that's when he offered me Fresno for the first time, and. Uh, you know, it was only Fresno at that point, And it was just the opportunity was going to be there for me to do well to keep doing it. Um, so I just knew that I had to kind of, con- you got to pay the rent every day, so to speak, in this business or, or in the position that I'm in right now, which, which I enjoy. And uh, so I figured, let me get Fresno. Let me knock it out of the park. And again, lucky to have Brian Ortega kind of have a big moment in the That's main right. events. And uh, so my voice is on that one, you know, and then off Ortega goes and he fights Frankie Edgar and, and now he's going to be in a title shot. So I've been lucky with some of the moments that I've been able to have as well in just a short time. Um, and so, 
I keep doing well enough for them to keep giving me more uh, assignments. And I guess you just have to kind of wait and see as far as events, or do you know, like in advance, as far as what you'll be doing, like, do they give you enough notice, I guess? I, oh, they give me, yeah, a few months because they don't want, you know, I want to say yes, because I want to work and I really truly enjoy it. It's like, I look forward to going to work. It's, it's, mm. it's a cool job. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I work with great people. Um, and, and I want to work, but also they don't want to be in a position if I say no, and, you know, Anik works a ton, you know, and so it's not like there's a ton on the roster, but I also don't want to say, no, I don't want to get Wally pipped, so to speak. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so I keep saying yes to any of the work that they give me. And, and I have a few things lined up. I don't even know. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not supposed to say like too far in advance. How no, for it, sure. Don't, don't want to get I you in trouble. Tell, I can tell you Chile obviously this week and uh, Liverpool next week. Oh, awesome. What about, uh, I don't know if you can say this or not contender series. Will you be on it this season? I'll be on the contender series. Nice. Okay, good. Like, like hearing that I'm a big fan of the contender series and I won't uh, release it. Well, there's, there might be some new faces too, but I, I just, okay. it's up in, it's up in the air right now. And I truly don't know the whole plans either, but I am involved. See, that's what we call a teaser in this business, right? And that's what they call it. Right. So there you go. What's your day to day? Like, I mean, uh, you know, you have the events, obviously, uh, you know, you're away from your family and everything. Like, how do you, like, what does a typical week look like for you, you know, outside of, uh, you know, fight week? Outside of fight weeks, a lot of homework since I, since I ha- haven't been involved in the sport that long, I don't have the knowledge that a John Anik has where you give him a fighter and, oh, yeah, back in 2013, he fought here, he fought here, right. trains here, this guy. So, but really, I take it like one step at a time with, with what my schedule is. So, like, I knew that I was doing, you know, this in Liverpool a couple months ago and I did Atlantic city. So, you know, a few few fights to get ready for in a short amount of time. So, you know, typical week is like, get up, you know, square away my two-year-old son after he gets us out of bed way too early. And then, um, you know, I have an office at home and I just, and a fight pass subscription. And I just like, who's, who's on my next fight. And I, I've kind of broken it down into a system where, okay. um, So Usman's fighting Maya this week. So let me, pull out my file on Usman, which I already have because he fought in St. Louis, which I called Damian Maya. Okay. Got to make a file for him because I haven't called one of his fights yet. Even though I've watched his fights and stuff, but I haven't called one yet. And, um, you know, put his background information in, put all the kind of height, weight, stuff like that, his most recent fights. And then really I, I kind of backfill a lot of his, you know, like scouting report stuff or just personal kind of background information while I just watch Damian Maya fights for an hour for, you know, and then just on down the list, you know, you got 26 fighters on a card and, uh, you know, I'm familiar with a good amount of them at this point. Cause I've been able to work a lot and call, I think, you know, five or six events at this point. So I'm starting to see the crossover where it's like, yep, I called his fight in St. Louis. I called his fight in Austin. Um, but really it's just, it's a lot of homework of, you know, it's watching fights and, kind of doing so in a professional way where you're taking notes while watching fights and not just sitting and enjoying and then you know hoping that you remember it it's like no you're not going to remember everything that they say so take notes and, and have them with you and then uh lean on them when it's time for the broadcast so it's been a lot of that and then uh you know as fight week approaches it becomes more about like the show like the scripts and the you know the, the rundown of things and formats like that 
So uh, we're you're in Chile right now, which uh, again I can't thank you enough for doing this uh, during during a fight week and everything. So so what is the next couple of days going to look like for you? You have the big uh, you know event on Saturday, but you know what are you doing between now and then as far as you know preparation or you know itinerary things like that? Yeah, so we got in this morning, which is Thursday morning. Generally for international shows, like I've traveled well because I went to Belang, Brazil. So you travel like Wednesday overnight into Thursday. And usually at, at some point on Thursday, there's a format meeting, which is basically the rundowns of all the fights, but including all the elements that the production side has to do. You know, we need the gra- this graphic here. We need this Modelo sponsorship here, that sort of thing. So that's kind of like not really my realm, but I'm in that meeting because it's also about my scripts and how I lead to the different features or coming up next and uh, sponsored reads and things like that. And then also, you know, promos during the fights like get your ufc 225 tickets they're on sale now blah 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 that sort of stuff so that meeting's on thursday um i know that you know the behind the scenes staff man they're working like crazy all week with editing the different pieces and graphics and things like that but thursday for me is you know we get in and then and then the meeting and then i work on my scripts kind of in my room a lot as well and then um friday that's when they generally have the TV truck at the arena and they kind of start going through the elements of the show, just making sure everything's good. I kind of show up to the truck in the afternoon and we run through the show one more time again with all the video elements plugged in so that we can kind of just do like a, it's called a rehearsal. We're not really out there like with microphones by the octagon. We're still just sitting in the truck, but going through all of our different graphics and and pieces and stuff like that. And then on Saturday they rehearse at the arena. We, we show up, you know, at about, you know, if the show starts at 6.30, we'll show up at about 3, 3.30, kind of have a meal, get ready. And then, you know, we'll do a run through of the top of the show, um, you know, kind of when we're on camera at the top of the main card, just kind of to do it once through, make sure it's all good, do the dry run, and then we kind of let it rip for the show. And uh, then the fun starts. That's awesome. Um, as far as uh, your contract, are you allowed to do other sports like outside? Or are you exclusive to UFC? You can only do UFC stuff right now. I can do other sports. Okay. Yeah. I can't go over to, you know, Bellator. I, right. I of course. Anything. Yeah. I think combat sports is off limits. Right. But then if you wanted to go do like, I don't know, something like a one-off or something like that, like if, the th- you know, if Fox wants to give me a college basketball game or uh, something like that, like that could be worked out. I haven't really had those conversations right now, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, Right as it stands right now, that that's possible. Just a couple more questions for you here, and then we'll wrap things up. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, um, is 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 there a fight, a fighter that you, that you'd like to call that you haven't called yet? Um, is there any? Is there like a bucket list yet as far as that goes? Um, I haven't really thought of that. That's a good okay. question. I mean, I'll just say like if I'm fighting it, if I'm calling a championship fight, I feel like I'm doing something good. But I haven't really like crossed that like like written that down yet you know i still have such respect for for anik and his place and his position like i feel like i've been traded to his team and i'm not going to try to wear the c you know what i mean right. uh so like i haven't really i haven't really written down i, I just kind of take the fighters that i get and i'm like thrilled with with some of the fighters that i get to call like looking back at it, I didn't know it was as big of a deal. I don't know if anybody did that. I was able to call that Brian Ortega Cub Swanson fight. Like I knew Swan, I knew who they were, and I knew Swanson was a kind of a longstanding veteran 
you watch this Duho Choi fight as like fight research. I just watched that fight like a hundred times. I couldn't stop watching it. Um, so I knew it was like a big deal for him. And then Ortega is this rising prospect. We're looking back on it. And now he's sitting on a title shot. I'm like, that was pretty cool. I hope I get to call an Ortega fight again. I just really like talking to him as well. Like in the fighter meeting, like that week. And like, he's just, he's just, a he's, he's very cerebral with how he thinks about really the world and life and stuff. Um, Sean O'Malley. I hope I get to call another Sean O'Malley fight. I just think he's, he's interesting as heck, but yeah, I mean, I just, I take each as they come. And what I've really loved is meeting the fighters each week and, um, you know, getting to know who they are and then getting to call their fight. And sometimes it, you know, it really stinks when they lose, but somebody has got to lose, you know, like, like Albert Morales is just a, great dude i, I just yeah. love albert morales he's he couldn't be a nicer guy and you know who else was great benito lopez he was awesome too and so they square off and they have this awesome fight uh i feel like you could have given that one fight of the night but um you know morales is after at the hotel taking pictures with benito lopez's family and they're they're all good afterwards and so that's what i really like too is like these these athletes that are really not on your radar even if you even if you're a big mma fan you might not know because they're they're on the undercard and they're coming up and they're trying to make their own name, but it's like, they have stories just the same, you know, they, they have these journeys that, that are crazy. So I've just kind of been pouring myself into who I have called and, uh, and, and just kind of figured out, you know, what makes each person who they are. Has it hit you yet? What you've accomplished over the last year? I mean, you're, you're in Chile right now calling a, you know, UFC event on Saturday. I mean, this time last year, I mean, you weren't even doing any MMA coverage yeah. or any MMA. Co- like, is that, is that sort of, is, is that hit you yet? Year, I was, a, I was, I was in Hawaii because my wife's from Hawaii. So after I got laid off, we had like, you know, airline miles. I'm like, let's use the miles. Let's go to Hawaii. You know, we had a free place to stay in Hawaii. It's like, I'll get to job search, whatever. I just want to unplug. And then and then I had the audition coming up in early June. So this time last year, I was like crash coursing in uh, UFC to get ready for my audition. And then I go on the audition. I didn't think I got the job. And like you said, now I'm here in Santiago, Chile and about to call another fight. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, when I first got the call to do the Fresno show, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, Fresno in mid in in early December, the first week of December, it's not this major event, but at the same time, like going into that show, that was going to be the highest profile broadcast I was ever a part of in any sport. Like I was at ESPNU, but if you're doing halftime shows on ESPNU, you're doing kind of, you're not doing the big games Mm -hmm. and, um, and you're the halftime show. That's when people change the channel and figure out something to watch else to watch for 10 minutes to go watch another game or something like that. So to be the voice of a broadcast, it's going to get a million viewers, which we peaked at, you know, I don't know what it was, 1.2 million that night or something like that. It's like going into that, I was like, this is, this is a big deal. This is going to be my biggest broadcast to date and it turned out to be. And um, that weekend I had talked to Zach at the UFC and about the future, what it might hold. And he said, well, you know, we kind of have you circled for St. Louis in a couple of weeks or next month. But, you know, we'll see how this weekend goes, of course. And, you know, I knew I was kind of playing for a job that weekend and had a good show and, like, took off the headphones at the end of the night in Fresno and walked back toward the truck. And Zach comes up to me and he's just like, do you want to do St. Louis? And I said, yeah, sure. So, I, you know, that was a kind of a really cool moment where I, I was able to text my wife and be like, all right, I got St. Louis. They're going to keep using me, you know. And, um, you know, and then that had another special moment with Matt Hughes and, 
and uh, Jeremy Stevens, who's had a nice rise and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I do pause to think about it because I, and I pause to think about it more in the case of like life threw something at you. There was a big challenge. And instead of just worrying about it and freaking out, look for what's next. And here you are a year later in a job that, you know, really it has a higher ceiling than what, you know, I had at the time. And it's opened me up to a whole new world. It's given me new friends. It's given me a new sport that I love that was kind of on the periphery. And uh, I just feel like I'm better for it. I've, you know, my, my skills have become more well-rounded. I've been able to see places that I never would have traveled to and found something else that I'm good at that I didn't really know I would be good at. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been an amazing year. What would be the best advice you'd give to someone that is looking to do what you do, be a UFC commentator? Well, you got to just work. You got to just like, like work for free when, when, you know, sometimes you need to work for free and other people will be like, don't work for free. You know, they'll take advantage of you. But it's like, the fact is somebody else is going to be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. So, you know, I just think that you need to have kind of tunnel vision in a lot of ways on what you want to do. You need to not keep score with other people. You need to not call this fight or get this job in Casper, Wyoming, and look at a peer of yours that you either went to school with or just somebody that you see on TV that, boom, he gets a big jump. Why is he on SportsCenter and I'm not? Yeah. Why is he, why is he got this, why does he make the jump to Denver and I'm still in Casper and, you know, struggling with it? If you do that, you will have an unhappy life in the broadcasting business. Like you need to do your best. You need to hope that everybody around you has the best success because they're going to bring you're, you're going to be along with that crowd. You know, you truly need to like not worry and freak out about what the future might hold and things like that. You need to do like the best job that you can at your job. You need to know that things are going to work out for the best and uh, you know, just grind at it when times are tough. Like imagine yourself five years, 10 years down the road and just imagine that it's a small blip if it is a blip or it's going to help you grow or it's going to lead you something to something that uh, you never thought it would lead to. And uh, you know, just try to keep the big picture in mind. I got to mention this just uh, before we sign off here, but uh, I don't know if you saw, uh, they just announced it literally as before we got on the show, uh, Ariel Hawani has left MMA fighting and he's now going to be joining ESPN. Your reaction is someone who wow. works in the industry. Yeah. Well, ESPN's getting in the UFC business. I don't think that anybody is, uh, I mean, so with that announcement, I'm surprised it, it didn't, I'm surprised it was that quick, but you know, ESPN has shown that despite like the challenges or the bad press that they have gotten, because they've gotten some bad press with the layoffs and, you know, people will just call out their ratings and everybody wants to pile on ESPN. So it's like, the fact is that ESPN is still the biggest brand in America in sports. They have rights to major, major, uh, things and now they've gotten into the ufc business so do they want to be in the ufc and just show the fights no they want the best people they scooped up adrian wojnarowski to have the best nba reporters you know they've 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 proven that the challenges in the industry they're still going to go out and they're still gonna do the best they can and they're gonna you know do what it would do what they need to do to stay on the forefront Ariel Hawani is like a huge name, obviously. They're going to have a lot more MMA content than they've had in the past. So they want a big newsbreaker in MMA. 
and a guy that uh, that is well known. That's uh, good for Ariel. He's been nice to me, and uh, so hopefully I can be on his show at some point. There you go. Yeah, he's he's been nothing but nice to me as well. He's he's been nothing but a class act and, you know, well-deserved. And uh, I just wonder, you know, as someone who, you know, this podcast is all about the industry, it's just going to be interesting to see what MMA fighting does going forward because Ariel had his show, the MMA Hour, and now that's a huge void. I don't know if they're going to replace him, if they're going to yeah. continue to do the show, but that's – I'm going to be keeping my eyes on that because I find that very interesting as far as, uh, the, you know, because a lot of these sites, it's, uh, you know, they have a different way of uh, sort of producing content and, uh, you know, it's it'll, it'll be uh, – I'll be keeping my eyes on it. It's very, very interesting. But in the meantime, we got to check out uh, UFC Chile coming up here, UFC Fight Night 129 this Saturday. Uh, of course, Brennan's going to be on the call there. So, Brennan, I want to thank you again uh, very much for, for taking the time here. Uh, just uh, remind people where they can get a hold of you on social media. And if you have any thank yous or shout outs or anything you want to get off your chest, uh, the floor is yours, sir. All right. Well, at Brendan Fitz TV is my Twitter handle. I deleted Facebook. Uh, I deleted my Instagram app. I've funneled it down to one thing because everything ends up on twitter anyways so you can find yeah. me there um and uh you know it's just been it's been great thank you to the mma fans because you know the mma fans on social media have a bad reputation and i have found that to be the opposite you know there, there's been a lot of good people you're among them james who've been nice to me in the industry the people who cover the sport the people who root for the sport and who watch it you know, whether it's constructive criticism or whether it's, you know, pats on the back. But I've, you know, I've worked with a great crew at the UFC, Zach Candido, who I mentioned. I should mention Michael LaPlante, Mike Ricci, the two producers that I've worked with. Paul Felders, I'm able to ride his coattails pretty well. He's been awesome. Jimmy Smith, who I'm working with this weekend. You know, it's been a great crew, uh, a great time with a great crew top to bottom. So I'm just happy that it uh, gets to continue. And you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. Uh, we got you covered over here at Fightful. A bunch of interviews for uh, this uh, Saturday's card. Andrea Lee, Vincente Luque, Brandon Davis, Jared Cannonier. Uh, the list goes on. We've got a lot of interviews over on Fightful. And uh, we'll be back next week, uh, you know, regular time on Thursday uh, for the MMA Industry Podcast. And I want to thank all of you for watching. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for the time.